welcome to My Turn Podcast, a gaming podcast hosted by extra competitive siblings. Expect recommendations, reviews, laughs and arguments as we take on games across all genres and platforms. My name's Jem, I'm the eldest sibling and I'm joined by my middle sibling, Tim. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Tim. Hi, Jem. It's a Jem and Tim special today because Erim uh, is doing stuff, work, other work. Just not being cool, not hanging out with us. I don't know. Definitely, definitely <laughs> not being cool. We know that <laughs> for a fact. Always uncool is Erin. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we've got quite a special episode for you today. Uh, what we normally do is we, we each take on a game, whether it be a video game or a board game or a street game, any kind of game. And we uh, will review and recommend it for you. And we kind of take turns sort of interviewing each other. But today, we've got two games for you uh, that we've both played. So we're going to have a bit more of a chat and a bit more of a deep dive into these games. And their thematic link. Would that be fair to say, Tim? (laughs) There is indeed a thematic link. Uh, and there's also, I would say, a link between the way both of these game studios approached making their game as well. It's not just the thematic. They, they took similar approaches to the way they wanted to make it. All right. Well, um, I'm full of suspense. What are the two games we're <laughs> going to be discussing, Tim? We are going to be doing the recently released Psychonauts 2. Ooh. Sequel to Psychonauts and um, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, which sounds like it's a sequel because mm. it's got a colon in it, but it's actually not. No, but there is a second one coming down the pipeline quite soon, I think. There is. They knew. <laughs> they knew it would be a series, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Um, so what we're going to do, these games do have a thematic link. Uh, what is that link, Tim? Mm. Mental health mental illness, uh, neurodiversity, psychosis, that sort of thing. Joy! Um, (laughs) But it is actually (laughs) not doom and gloom. If you haven't played these games, stick with us on this. What we're going to do is we're going to take quite a deep deep dive into the games, but we'll let you know uh, at a point if we get to spoilers, we'll let you know where to skip over. So you can listen to this safely until we announce spoilers if we get to that point. Um, And we're going to talk about, I think, Hellblade first. What do you reckon, Tim? Okay, can do indeed. Um, what I can tell you about Hellblade mm. in a nutshell is it's an action adventure game oh, yeah? developed and published by Ninja Theory, who are a British video game studio. Mm-hmm. And this one was actually released um, in 2017 mm-hmm. on Windows, PlayStation 4. A little bit later, the following year on Xbox One, Nintendo Switch in 2019, and Xbox Series X and S august 2021 and there was even um, a virtual reality uh, support version that came out in 2018 so basically this is one of those games that is now on all the things yeah all the things things. and it's it described itself as like an an independent triple a title so i think it started quite small and then has just sort of grown and grown yeah so from what i've read there was a team of 20 developers that worked on this game but with the ambition of uh, a triple a studio if you will Mm -hmm. and i think that they are kind of putting that forward as a sort of manifesto for the way they want to create games in the future and sort of inspiring other indie studios to have that um 
breadth of ambition, I guess, with with making games, but while keeping the sort of integrity of the indie way of working. So not being led by the consumer, really exploring interesting, diverse themes, making sure your teams are, um, you know, representative of the culture that you're working in and everything like mm-hmm. that. So one example I, I, I read that I'll share of how they um, tried to achieve this through saving money being a small company is that instead of going into a studio to do their normal sort of uh, video capture, motion capture mm. acting stuff, they just used um, the boardroom in their office. <laughs> they just kitted it out as being, you know, able to do green screen in there. And like all their um, all their props and stuff were Ikea, you know, <laughs> sort of they really did it on a budget. But hey, it works great. It, it really does. Um, so this game, in terms of genres, it's listed as mm-hmm. a puzzle video game. Uh, a fighting game, an action adventure game, an indie game, a hack and slash, and an adventure. <laughs> I would, I think I would probably agree with all of those. And I'd add in horror. I don't think they yeah. specifically mention horror, but there's a lot of psycho- psychological horror elements to it as well that I would throw in. Yeah, I'd agree with that too. Um, and it, and everything about this game, even if you want to like go on the website, everything's sort of age protected as well. And I think rightly so, mm-hmm. this is definitely um, a game for adults, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Should I give them a bit of story yeah, let's do to it. say where we are with this? Yeah. Okay, so this is it is a dark fantasy world, but it is very inspired by um it, its setting, which is eighth century Orkney. Now Orkney is Scotland, so you know, we have Celtic culture, but it's also very much Norse. So we have Norse mythology. I mean, let's not forget Orkney from eighth century for five hundred years was actually Viking ruled. And uh, it's closer to Oslo in Norway than it is to London. So, you know, we've got a, got a lot of mix of, of Viking stuff. So we um, follow the character called Senua, who is a picked warrior who is trying to make her way to Helheim by defeating, um, you know, all these otherworldly creatures, entities, spirits, and facing the challenges that they uh, put before her in order to rescue the soul of her dead lover, from the goddess Hela. Uh, quick thing about the character's mm-hmm. name, Senua. She's actually based on an Iceni queen, um, who is actually kind of southern England. Iceni queen uh, Boudicca, ah. and her name. Yes, based on Boudicca, like kind of in terms of character and physicality, but the name comes from Senuna, who is a Celtic goddess that was only rediscovered in two thousand and two. What? And we thought her name was Sununa, but it's actually Senua. There we go. It's, it was first, sorry, the other way around. It was her, they thought her name was Senua. It's actually Sununa. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> right. But Senua is the, uh, they've taken that from that discovery. Gotcha. So uh, what, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you mentioned Helheim, Tim. Um, what is that? Oh, well, Helheim is like the underworld, like the Norse underworld that she has to journey into you know a bit like maybe Dante's Inferno Mm. think of that but Viking-y yeah (laughs) um and I I kind of written some little talking points about this actually starting with the opening because when I first played this this game has had a lot of buzz which we'll come to um later on in our chat but from the opening this game 
is definitely setting itself out to be something quite different as an experience. Uh, I don't know if you recall the way it opens, Tim, where you basically mm-hmm. just are in a canoe, or I don't know if that's the appropriate word for it. Was it a canoe? <laughs> a wooden kayak yeah, as far type as, thing? <laughs> as far as I remember, it's a canoe because it's got one. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I thought yeah. as well. And, um, and you're just instantly immersed into this misty, uh, dark, watery realm. Um, and all you're doing is you're kind of going with your character Senua along this journey, paddling to somewhere you do not know yet, but you know that it's sort of got this sense of foreboding, the atmosphere's all there. The credits mm-hmm. are outstanding. So as it as the game starts, you get kind of start credits come onto the screen, almost like you might do in a, in a film, in a cinematic picture. And so you're just instantly immersed into how this looks, how this sounds. The sound of the paddle on the water is so mesmerizing. And mm-hmm. you get an immediate sense of dread with the mist and this kind of, you, you know you're going somewhere already. So as a player, that choice to go one way or the other is taken away from you straight away because you know you can only really go in one direction right from the get-go, which I think is an interesting way of immersing you into what follows did you have any thoughts yeah. on that oh I, th- I think it's such a clever opening because there's no heads up displays mm-hmm. on anything it's full screen so you are you are fully immersed in it you know that's obviously a, a very conscious decision for them to try and make you empathize more deeply with Senna as you go um, so but not only does it sort of not have that to immerse you it introduces one of the key components of the game which is that you are guided by this this voice or the darkness or the, the furies as it is and they you know sort of what you think is they're going to give you hints of where to go and they're sort of your tutorial you know you're going to listen to these voices they would be your tutorial but one of the main points of the game is that they are so unreliable. Yeah. <laughs> They're like the un, un, unreliable narrator in the story. They're your unreliable guide. They, you know, ward you off things when maybe it's something you are actually meant to do. They encourage you to something that might put you in danger. They speak simultaneously about your hopes and fears. And, you know, what it's trying to do is give you, obviously, that sense of the character's mind, but also a really interesting game mechanic. Yeah, 100%. And um, the voices that Tim's talking about uh, have been produced with Bine Oral Audio Design. So basically, it's a simulated three-dimensional sound. So the game does recommend right at the start that you play with headphones on. And the one thing that every time I told someone I was playing this, they kept saying, oh, make sure you've got good enough headphones. And I'm like... (laughs) Why are you judging my headphones? Like, like basically people kept saying, yeah, your headphones are fine, but get better ones. Mm. And I'm like, "Uh, okay. (laughs) It's just really So just to clarify, uh, binaural is when you like left and right ears equally. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Sorry about that. Sorry, I had... you do tickle me Sam you are funny um but yeah the this kind of constant chatter it escalates and then calms and escalates and calms but never really goes away through the through the entire game Mm -hmm. and someone that I um was uh messaging while I was playing this game who'd already played it actually told me that they had to stop playing because they'd had like some kind of very brief childhood psychosis with voices 
um, mm. that, that didn't persist throughout their life. It was just something that they remember and the game just sort of triggered a bit of trauma. So it's really interesting because this is something, again, that it sort of warns you of at the start of the game, that this is mimicking a form of psychosis and um, it, it has real real effects on some people. Um, and I don't know how you found it, mm. Tim. Did How did it make you feel having the con- constant chatter of voices? Um, I mean, honestly, I wasn't unnerved by it. I didn't I didn't have those kinds of strong reactions. I found it very interesting more than mm. anything. For me, I felt um, a little bit more of an observer in the situation. I was fascinated to know, you know, what what she would be thinking, what their agenda was, trying to sort of figure out how much of it, how much of this story is realistically going on in a real woman's mind versus a fantastical, you know, creation of mythology. Mm. So for me, it was very interesting. I, I didn't find it disturbing, but I think it's, it's definitely worth saying at that point that this isn't, uh, this isn't a feeling that the game creators have just invented. Mm-hmm. They did consult very closely with neuroscientists, yeah. with mental health specialists, people who actually suffer from the condition then themselves. So it re- it, to my you know, an ex- inexperienced mind, it does have that feel of authenticity. But I suppose that's a double-edged sword because it. I can totally also see how it would be too close for some people to be able to mm, enjoy. Yeah, 100%. And then for myself, I had... The, another reaction completely which is that I found it very calming and I'm someone with a very mm. busy mind so my mind is always racing um, I, I have occasionally suffered with quite quite severe anxiety and one of the sort of symptoms of that is having this sort of racing mind where your internal voice is just go 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 and you can't focus on one thing so having these voices in my head with the headphones on actually was very calming for me Maybe I, I've never heard voices that aren't my own, if that makes sense. So it's not quite the same. Mm-hmm. But there was something about the busyness and the, the the fact that my brain was occupied all of the time while playing this game that really settled me. Um, so, yeah, that is such a diversity of experience with this one yeah. design idea. Yeah. And it's interesting because we know... We know from lots of studies that, you know, video games can help alleviate mm. symptoms of anxiety and depression disorders. And a lot of that is to do, you know, with distraction, with being able to solve something and having a sense of achievement or socialising, if that's the context you're doing in it. So it's not that the game needs to specifically try and tackle into any mental health issue, but just games in general can actually be very good for you. Yeah, and I just think it's so interesting that by attempting to kind of pull out and find creative ways of expressing something that some people go through that we as players all get this Mm -hmm. more unique experience of playing a game and that won't be a one-size-fits-all experience so it's really it's really interesting kind of dual um result of something they've tried to do to express a different mental state so i I just find it fascinating and i I want to say one more thing about it but this is a spoiler (gasps) Should we should we save a spoiler till a bit later? Can you put a pin in it? Kind of you want. It's because it relates specifically to the way they portray psychosis. Oh, I've but, um, I've put, a, come back I've to put it. a note at the end to yeah. Let's come back to it. Let's come back to it. All right. <laughs> can we can we talk then about so they get the voices get very panicky when Senua takes damage. Yeah. 
Um, and I don't think this is a spoiler because it happens very yeah, early yeah, yeah, on, yeah, yeah. but there's there's a sort of a mechanic in it that's um, where your your arm gets like all all dark and infected and withered or something. And they tell you at the beginning, you know, the, the more times you sort of, inverted quotes, die or get damaged, um, more of this sort of disease will take over you. And eventually you'll hit a point where you get permadeath. Yeah. And it gives you this feeling of like, okay, so if I hit that, what does that mean? Like game over? I have to start all over again. Yeah. And the panicky voices when you get, you know, more and more damaged, that, that was the thing that made me probably most anxious about the game <laughs> yeah yeah me too um so what i what i um called it tim the black arm of doom um <laughs> yeah yep, makes sense so senua's uh, arm yeah it gets a kind of black sort of diseased appearance a bit zombified i'd say and that does mm-hmm. increase and you're right the voices are like oh it's growing it's increasing oh no it's reaching it's going higher up her arm and they're just constantly chatting about how bad it's getting every time you hurt yourself and i was the same and i actually i'm sorry i had to look it up i was like do does it end do you i have to does it re- delete my game um and luckily i didn't see a spoiler <laughs> when i did that but um yeah very real threat and very real kind of jeopardy i guess introduced really early on in the game because apart mm-hmm. from that you're not although there is ways of failing in the game like kinder you're always on a forward trajectory so i guess having the black arm of doom um (laughs) gives you a bit more of an immediate threat um and a bit more sort of gameplay threat rather than this kind of uh mental experience of trauma so it's kind of more gamified i would say in terms of the way it made me feel yeah yeah, gamified, but but also gives you that physical manifestation of a constant sort of threat and paranoia. Yeah. In addition to all the things that are going on outside that, you know, that you might be seeing, there's something in you as well that's kind of creepy. Yeah, so let's get into the actual gameplay and the kind of game that that we're experiencing while while we're playing senua mm-hmm. um and as we as we explained it's got a multi-genre listing. Um yeah, do you want to do you want to talk about some of the types of gameplay that you encounter in this, Tim? Okay, I, I guess for me, this is where it starts to fall down a little bit. I'll say that ahead of time because we've we've gushed about the atmosphere yep. and the voices and the starting and all this sort of mm-hmm. stuff. But um, it's the point the point where um, you actually have to, have to kind of start fighting monsters oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that you realise that actually your your ability to really sort of plan combat or, or tactics or even have any sort of variety in fighting style um, is not going to be ex- as extensively researched as the atmosphere was. Yeah. So hack and slash yeah. pretty much sums it up um, for most of the fighting. What did you think? Yeah, same. I the, So basically everything that you fight, you, you are a warrior, so you would expect some fighting. Um, when you do fight, you meet these enemies who always have masked features. So they kind of have animal skull type masks on, uh, very unhuman. And you quickly realize you're always seeing the same ones every time there's a combat mm-hmm. phase. And it is very much, as you said, a hack and slash style combat phase, which means that you just get over overcome by wave upon wave of enemies. And they're all the same 
enemies that just sort of repeat on a loop and it's very boring um, yeah. <laughs> in my opinion yeah. partly because there seems to be no real leveling up or um, sort of character progression with any of the combat so whereas everything else in the game in terms of the narrative the atmosphere the puzzles which I think we should talk about next there does seem to be a lovely evolution and you feel like what you're doing and learning as a player has an impact. Whereas with the combat, it is literally um, copy and paste every time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And my, I don't know if you remember Tim, but when I got to the end, which is, um, yeah, there's there's excessive amounts of combat as you go through it. Um, I remember messaging you and saying, I can't use my hands. I've got a hand spasm because the <laughs> yeah, actions were so repetitive <laughs> that my yeah. thumb swelled up and I literally had a hand spasm. <laughs> yeah, I do remember. I think you say it's about the progression because often in those sorts of games, you, you're allowed to specialise in something that suits the way you like to play mm. and there just isn't that. But the puzzles yeah. uh, we should come on to, they were now they were a bit more enjoyable. Yeah, they were. There's a quite there are quite a lot of puzzles which made sense in in terms of the narrative for me, which were about illusion and perspective. Yeah. So having to you know go through gates in the right order or line things up to uh, initiate some sort of response. I enjoyed those ones. Um, you know, not just purely from a from a mechanical puzzle solving sort of thing, but also I think because it just made a lot of sense in terms of the narrative. Yeah, I absolutely like about the I absolutely loved um the idea of playing with perspective, which happens a few times in different settings and in slightly different ways. Um and there's a sequence nearer the end of the game. Again, there's not really a spoiler because you meet these kinds of puzzles early on, but um there's a sequence towards the end of the game which plays with perspectives and uh, you, you know, kind of changing one thing to influence your access into another. And I really enjoyed that. And I did find figuring them out um, really satisfying. They weren't really challenging, but they were challenging enough because of the, the setting and the fact that you had to sort of try things a few times in order to figure out the pattern or the sequences. Um, I really enjoyed that, and I think that the styling of the puzzles was very cool. One of the earlier um, perception puzzles that you you meet is in a really cool landscape, which is this uh, conjunction between sort of myth and history. And I really love that they've weaved that into everything. So you've got this setting of a real place, but it has this sort of mythical skin on it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I love the sort of almost set design of these things. Mm. Just really, yeah, really, really cool stuff. And yeah, if you like puzzles, I think that you will find them satisfying enough, even though they're not the bulk of the gameplay. Yeah, absolutely. And and actually, sometimes if you have to do a puzzle against the clock, it can be really frustrating if it's something that your cursor has to line up to yeah. for example especially if you're playing with a with a pad but actually i quite enjoyed it in this game because the controls weren't so sensitive mm-hmm. that that becomes an issue and it and because the puzzles weren't particularly hard sometimes the ones that were against a clock whereby things are going to burn down around yeah. you for example i think there's one um that 
gave me enough drive to sort of care more about it. So I actually thought in this scenario it worked quite well. Yeah. And the other thing which I think is going to feed into the horror genre, which I'd like to mention about the gameplay, was that some of the setups, they weren't really a puzzle, but there was a there was a skill in kind of escaping or transversing a location. Um, and yeah, there was... What I really liked, again, with the sound, is that they made it more than just an experiential thing. They made it part of the gameplay. So there is a sequence where sound is your way through a section, which mm-hmm. was very tense and yes. scary. <laughs> yeah, it really is. There, there were, like, quite a few <laughs> moments, you know, actually make you yelp. Yeah things are sort of crashing their way towards you and you just want to get out (laughs) is there anything else you want to mention about the gameplay before we maybe get into some spoilers i don't think so um only because it feels like two completely different reviews in a way for me to talk about the story and the feel versus the mechanics of the gameplay only i suppose that i really hope that it's something for the sequel they pay a lot more attention to yeah absolutely uh and i think we're both we're both recommending this game we'll give a proper recommendation at the end but if you're going to take a break for spoilers i will put the time in the show notes so do not listen beyond this point until the next time in the show notes which will be there uh if you don't want to hear any spoilers for hellblade senua's sacrifice all right tim it's off. Gloves are off. Spoilers, spoilers. Let's <laughs> right. go, let's go. Come on, tell me. Tell me. Give me some spoilers. What, which ones do you want to uh, talk about? Um, yeah, so just picking up on this use of sound for some of the the kind of, yeah, getting through the zone. That horror sequence where you have to follow a bell and then follow water and then and then get a light and, and find some, some kind of torch to like... And there's these weird, horrible monsters in the dark. I almost couldn't play it. I was so scared. yeah it's it's one of those ones that you think oh i'll save that for the morning i'll go to bed now and i'll leave that bit for the morning (laughs) and i and i kept because also that the one thing that probably we we um we we should have said which we we haven't yet is that the the kind of when you when you do die and respawn sometimes you do have to do quite a considerable section again and in this mm-hmm. area, I kept misstepping and getting caught by the weird monsters that were attracted to sound. And um, I, yeah, I just was not happy. I, I, I might have thrown my controller at one point because I had to keep redoing it. <laughs> <laughs> but that said, I, I really I get enjoyed less, it. <laughs> I get less shouty and throwy and I more just hold, hold, hold my breath for the entire experience. <laughs> that's my that's my test and then by the end of it i realize i've gone past yeah it. and another thing um <laughs> spoiler wise uh, again do i hope you're not listening to this if you haven't played it but the ending goodness me mm. i was fighting for oh i want to say 45 minutes that's why i couldn't use mm-hmm. my hands the next day before i realized i needed to um let myself die <laughs> yeah yeah it's <laughs> It's a sort of, it's one of those things that you're like, oh, I hate that, but I also kind of love it mm. um, as a decision, you know, kind of having to let go to an extent. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things about choosing your fate and, and what's being given to you. The thing I really did like mm. about 
the end, I think, which was going to pick up on this sort of assessment of psychosis, is that I think through, you know, particularly through the beginning of the game, you can get a feeling that it's something that was like like inherent to her or, you know, yeah. just sort of suddenly her brain uh, became psychotic. And I think the way they unfold the story of her being, you know, isolated and abused when she was young yeah. by her father, this is the main point of it because you know quite often the 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 illness of psychosis um comes from the problems with psychosis rather doesn't come from the initial illness so much as the stigma and the isolation the mistreatment that comes with it yeah like people can you know be treated for psychosis but obviously if they go through all that trauma on top of it that's what makes it really you know especially difficult so that's what I was just going to pick up on is the fact that I like that the end story sort of justified the way her psychosis was portrayed yeah that's right and it's a really nice way of layering up that story as well because for us as an audience there is still some ambiguity as there is in real life with what you know what what is psychosis what is the experience for people that have it and how can people who don't have it understand that experience and it is kind of it is so interwoven with culture and perception um that that you know it's really nice to see explored in a way where even the description and the explanation they give us isn't conclusive it's Mm -hmm. it's a it's a mix of things because it isn't just one thing and I, i thought that was really good um the other thing touching on that is the genius way that secondary characters are brought in as um real life characters so like mm-hmm. filmed what live action that's the word i'm looking for <laughs> live action yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah the secondary ca- characters are actors kind of filmed through very heavily filtered um screen i guess um really nice effects on them in a, in such a way that it, it's got splintered light and it, it it does fit the aesthetic of the rest of the game and i don't think i've ever seen a game that merges that uh, live action and animation so well mm-hmm. I, I thought it looked brilliant beautiful the way they did that it did something again special to the empathy you have with the character and how you're able to be immersed in that and also testament to the actors doing it as yeah. well considering they were in a boardroom mocked up as a green studio yeah exactly <laughs> and massive shout out to like the actress who played Senua who was never a voice actor before before doing this who's like a photographer and editor um just amazing and i think that something the game did so well was just lingering on all her expressions especially towards the end where she was having she was kind of talking to us to herself to the gods Mm -hmm. you know really kind of close-up work on her eyes um which really kind of give you a lot of empathy for her and you really care about what what happens to her towards the end when you're making these decisions like oh I have to die now oh gosh oh no like it's really it's traumatic (laughs) and liberating at the same time when you realize that's what needs to happen Mm -hmm. and it ends with her inviting us to explore more stories with even though like we've said at the end you die Mm -hmm. uh it doesn't quite it doesn't quite turn out that way she sort of ends up walking off and saying I've I've got more to tell, so I'm excited for the next yeah, one. Yeah, really excited for the next one. Okay, so let's mark the end of spoilers. This is the end of spoilers. So, Tim, I think we've just about got through <laughs> Hellblade. Mm-hmm. Who would you recommend this game to? 
I think I'll, I'll slightly flip it and say I won't recommend it to anyone who really can't handle hack and slash. <laughs> um, it's, the, it's the least enjoyable part of the game, yeah. I think. And if you are particularly, you know, if you see an adventure game and you think, I love adventure games, and then you get here and you've got to put up with that fighting mechanic, you might be like, oh, I, I didn't want to do this, which is a shame because the rest of it is very worth it. But I think that's the only thing I'd say. And also, obviously, be mindful of your own mental disposition. And I probably wouldn't encourage it for particularly young people. Uh, or if you've got teenagers playing it, at least have a discussion about this first. Yeah, I, I completely agree with your recommendation and your warning. And again, like we always say, please look at the age rating on these things. I hate seeing like people just ignore these things, these age ratings without having discussions with their young people or vulnerable people because um, it happens too often <laughs> and <laughs> developers put those things there for a reason. The other thing I'd say as well is that they've got um, the web, the Ninja Theory website has some nice mental health resources on there and links um, if any of the themes of this game resonate with you or you want to find out more, which I think is good. Do you want to give me a rating, Gem? I love this game and I'm only docking it a little bit because the combat hurt my hands. So I'm going to give it an eight <laughs> and a half out of ten. Very nice. I had something for I, for the same reasons, I, I docked it for the gameplay, but there's a lot I love about this game, but I had it down as an eight out of ten. Oh, very close, very close. Maybe I've been a yeah. bit cheeky with the half points. I've been doing that a lot lately. I don't, I don't really do halves. Yeah. I think just, you know, commit. <laughs> is it like having a shandy? It's like, it's like, it's like having a shandy top. <laughs> just have a lemonade half a, or have half a Half a shandy top. Did you ever work in a bar where someone asked you for like half a shandy and you had to explain to them what you can't yeah, do? Yeah, I know. I ha yeah, I also, I got really angry if anyone asked for a shandy, let alone half a shandy. If someone had half a shandy, I was like, don't talk to me, you're dead to me. But yeah, not not legal not legal measures. So you can't not really, a legal measure. You can can't only serve it. half a shandy in a private club. There's yep. a fun fact for you. Fun fact. Bar facts. enthusiasts out there. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of Should fun. Should we go on to a psych Yes. Now this is a very different approach Hell to yeah. uh to similar themes, to themes with mental health. We are on Psychonauts 2, which is a third person platform game. Uh, developed by Double Fine and published by Xbox Game Studios and it was released in August of this year, 2021 and that was for Windows and PlayStation and Xbox and it is coming, although no official date announced I don't think, for Mac and Linux mm, The only thing I don't think it's been linked to yet is Switch Yeah, which I think it would be no, really nice no to play on Switch but um, I'm sure it would yeah, be, yeah, I think it would be really fun uh, so uh, do you want to do you want to, in a nutshell um Blurb. The, the story. A little bit of story. Yeah, yeah okay. Right. So I'm going to stick uh, it in a walnut because a walnut looks like a brain. And this game is all uh, about yes. brain. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a good job you had half a mind to say that. <laughs> um, so like the, like the first game of Psychonauts, uh, you control a character called Raz. Raz Rasputin. Rasputin, and uh, fortunately for us, because this is a platformer, he is a young acrobat, and he's also training to become a psychonaut. What is a psychonaut, you might ask? Well, I'm about to tell you, so pipe down. All right. Um, they are an international task force <laughs> that use their psychic abilities to try and stop other people with psychic abilities for doing bad 
things with them. And the story that they're going through in this um, in this sequel is that they're trying to find out who actually was behind the kidnapping of their leader. Mm-hmm. And that in turn leads to an unraveling of a mystery around the the founding of the Psychonauts Mm -hmm. and also ties in with Rasputin's own family history. Family drama. Drama (laughs) (laughs) spoilers. Very nice, very nice walnut shell. Um, Thank you. So yeah, this let's let's just get into some gameplay. Uh, my yeah. first talking point is the opening again for both games. Both openings I thought did an amazing job of showing you what to expect, setting the tone really clearly. And this game's opening was an absolute joy. The graphics, uh, the design of the characters, this kind of comic book style visual explanation of Raz's history from the first game, which was 2005, so ages ago. Um, Mm -hmm. up until the point that you find him at now was so funny the voiceover was brilliant in fact the voice acting throughout is amazing um it just launches you into the story so well that you even if you don't know a thing about the first game you're already invested in this sweet little character with a massive head (laughs) he really does have a massive head (laughs) and they joke about it all the time (laughs) it comes up all the worlds i love that i love when because you know so often animations cartoon characters have really disproportionate you know limbs or heads or whatever but it's all part of their world but in this one they're constantly like you've got a massive head (laughs) so funny any opportunity to get a a dig at his head in in this script (laughs) no you're right the the opening was so exciting um, I was not expecting to be thrown into um, such kind of like active gameplay that quickly. Yeah. It's, I sort of, I panicked a little bit when, you know, you're going through twisting corridors and your dimensions are changing and just like, oh, is it going to be this all the way through? Because like my mm-hmm. heart's pounding. Mm-hmm. And then they give you a little bit of respite after that. But it, it was an all action opener. Like you'd get, you know in a film where they're like, okay, we need to hook them for the first five minutes and then we can explain some stuff about characters. Yeah, 100%. And I'm glad you said that because I felt like the whole time playing this game in every single mindscape, in every single area, I felt like I was in a film in terms of the setup, the design, the rendering mm-hmm. of the animation, and also the score throughout is just mind-blowingly good. And I just felt like I could be in a Pixar movie. It just... I was going to say Pixar. Yeah, it's... there's. There's a lot to compare with yeah. Pixar in this, actually. You know, not just the animation style, but also, you know, one of the, the key sort of uh, gameplay mechanics mm-hmm. is that um, in order to sort of continue understanding this mystery and what's really going on, Raz uses his sort of psychic abilities to enter the mind of someone else. And what that means is not only do you get, you know, an inside out sort of scenario with Pixar where you're seeing different emotions become you know characters and friends or enemies but it also means that everyone's mind has a slightly different feel Mm. to it a different story and so it is like going through lots of different pixar movies because you get everyone's different experiences and histories it's a very clever way i think to set up that variety of um, game style yeah 100 well let's talk about some of the actual game mechanics and then after that we'll delve into some of our favorite mindscapes 
Um, mm-hmm. So the game mechanics, I mean, as you pointed out, it's very convenient that Raz is a acrobat and he's from an acrobatic family. And the joy of the diversity of platforming that you get in this game is unreal. I just love that anything that you could possibly do as an acrobat, they'd worked it in at some point as something Mm -hmm. that you can do actively in the game. How did you find kind of operating Raz and having him as your little platforming vessel through this? Oh yeah, it's, I mean, it's brilliant. Like you say, there's a lot of variety of ways from trampolining and swinging and balancing and walking on balls and flipping and gliding and there's all sorts of things you can do. And yet his breadth of abilities sort of don't don't always make him um, so superhuman that it's very easy. <laughs> do you know how sometimes like certain platformers, once you start powering up, it becomes very easy to like jump across a whole level or something. Yeah. Like that's that's never the case here. You're always going from one step to the next, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the the gameplay uh, and the the way the movement design, let's say, is really uh, integral to the settings. So depending on what area you're in, um, you you unlock kind of different not just abilities but potential to use that setting. So from bouncing off of weird little mushroomy shaped bushes to swinging on some vines blasting others uh like flipping off of one thing climbing another like it's just the the way that they've used the interplay between what the character's acrobatic abilities are and the set that they give you with the playground they give you uh let's say Mm -hmm. is really really clever and it keeps every sort of action that Raz can perform really lively and never gets boring I don't think and should we talk about some of the psychic abilities that sort of enhance his acrobatic yeah and none of this is a spoiler you know no the only thing that might be a spoiler I think in this game is the actual mystery so we won't talk about that yet but I'm still clear with that (laughs) so did you did you find you had like a particular favoured psychic ability because one yeah. of the things is i think you get about a choice of eight or something by the end when you as you go acquiring them but you can only really equip four mm. at a time so i found that there was maybe one or two that i just always had in there and then others that i switched out yeah i had one of my triggers i think my right trigger was the ability that i switched so if mm-hmm. i was in a certain mindscape or a certain area where i needed a ability I didn't use all the time that was my switch one because as you say it was a bit confusing and not not easy in a good way to get your head around the different abilities and I think that's the point because they are using different parts of Raz's mind and therefore yours Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah my favorite was definitely the blaster I blasted everything (laughs) (laughs) of course you did (laughs) I um I, I think one of the ones I used the most was the sort of the levitation skill. Oh yeah, I use that because a lot. As well. <laughs> you can you can run around a bit faster, yeah, yeah, yeah. but also as you upgrade it, if you knock into things, it damages them. So if you if you find yourself a bit crowded in, you just hit that levitation, run around quickly, and knock a few things over to give you some time to figure out what your next step yeah, is. Yeah, and on the levitation, I... you're not actually floating. You're basically walking on this kind of ball. You're like on a giant beach yeah. ball. And you can you can upgrade it to smash into bit Like, you can actually do a kind of ground pound with it, which is really fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Although I think, I think maybe my favourite one <laughs> was the one where you get to draw a cartoon copy of yourself. Yes! And oh, I forgot about that. That allows you to like slip through a letterbox <laughs> and unlock locked doors, for example, or like operate levers that are far away from you. But that's not the reason why. It wasn't the what it can do that was my favourite. It was just the fact that it was so silly. It had a really stupid voice and followed <laughs> you around and said stupid things. And it was just kind of, yeah, anyway, it made me laugh, that one. Yeah, the little the little 2D Raz was like, I can get that for you. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just so funny. Really um, tickled me. Yeah, I loved it. And I also just found something really satisfying uh, in the kind of the, mi- the mind, I forgot what it's called, like the mental connections one. Just because you could kind of zoom from one thought to another through the air if you saw Mm -hmm. these little icons. Uh, Just found that quite satisfying, just flying around. (laughs) Yeah. So the idea with mental connections is that you're meant to be, you know, kind of connecting, uh, like traveling along neurons and connecting ideas Mm -hmm. together within someone's mind. And what that can do is actually enable new thought processes Mm -hmm. in someone's mind. So what they're doing is, you know, trying to kind of show you how thought patterns can be cemented and about how they can be broken, which might be something you'd learn in cognitive behavioral Mm -hmm. therapy, for example. Mm -hmm. But I love that they introduced it by showing it being done in a sort of inadvertently abusive way. And they had that conversation Mm -hmm. straight away. So, you know, his, his teacher is like, well, doing that without permission is a violation. Yeah. And you sort of, you go, oh, okay, that that's where we're at with this standard. I'm not just going to be able to jump into people's minds and mess them up whenever I feel like it. They've hit that responsibility really hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get into some of these um, uh, mind... What, what are they called again? My brain just went dead suddenly. Mindscapes. Mindscapes, that's it. Oh gosh, I've even got it in front of me. I couldn't read anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I need a big head like Raz to keep all my thoughts in it. Um, yeah, so some of those mindscapes were so inventive. And as you say, each mind had a very different feel to it, which was really nice. And each mind had its own defences, which tied into that person's experience of mental health or their experience of processing thoughts. And so each mind you went into was a character that you'd met as a you know, 3D character in the world, either in the mother lobe mm-hmm. or around the setting. Um, and then you got the opportunity to see what the inside of them looked like. <laughs> yeah, so cool. I loved it. Uh, what were some of your favourite ones, Tim? Oh, gosh. it's I mean, it's so hard to pick a favourite because I just love them all. Um, but I think maybe the one I laughed the most at might have been the 90s cooking show. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, it was so it's, it's kind of like, imagine sort of ready, steady yeah. cook set up, that kind of vibe. And, um, you know, you're being asked to collect some ingredients cook them prepare them maybe it's a bit like the that cooking game as well um that i've forgotten the name of but you know what i mean uh cook uh you mean the one that's on like switch overcooked Overcooked. Overcooked. that's it that would drive me mad so it's a bit like that as i you know go get the ingredients cook them bring them back except that it's all in this really like monstrously garish oversized um, uh, cooking show the judges are these hand yeah. puppets that are 
slightly insane. And the audience, the entire studio audience are the ingredients, like the vegetables yeah. and the meat that you have to cook. Yeah. <laughs> and they're really happy about it. They're very enthusiastic. They're like, pick me, pick me. And you have to like collect a carrot and then chop its head off and, you know, and then stick it in a blender yeah. and do all these sorts of things. It oh, it just tickled me. It was, me. It was so, so silly. funny. And in that bit, it, you know, when you pick up an ingredient, the carrot next to it, if you pick up a carrot, the carrot next to it will be like, that's my cousin. That's <laughs> It's so funny. And I think, I mean, that's something we'll keep picking up on as we as we talk about this game, because the script is amazing, even to the point that, yeah, these background characters, just background dialogue is hilarious. Um, and they just haven't mm-hmm. missed a trick, have they? You're, you're just... <laughs> no. They take every single joke. I was laughing all the way through this game, just constantly. So um, funny. A, another one that... Um, I really enjoyed was the uh, the rock concert. Yes, that was one my that you favorite. Go to. Uh, okay, well you talk about that one then. Um, so there's a point where you find a brain that doesn't have an owner, and I'm not going to spoil it for you and tell you who whose brain it is. But um, when you go into this brain, you're immersed into this kind of psychedelic. Um, what's that Beatles? Sergeant yeah, Pepper. right, that kind of vibe, <laughs> like mm. Woodstock almost, but with that kind of aesthetic, that sort of Sergeant Pepper aesthetic. It's really cool. As we've already mentioned, the music's really on point. Um, the characters that you meet are amazing, and the key voice actor in that sequence, none other than Jack Black. So it's really, <laughs> really fun, and so many sort of music puns. And um, you meet band members who kind of look like musical instruments is really, really fun. And the whole thing is just so unlike any other game I've ever played. That level was mind-blowingly good. Yeah, yeah. It, and that was one of the trickier ones to navigate. Yeah. I, I think there's something about... Because you, you have to... <laughs> direct sort of light through prisms to create bridges between gaps. There's something about any level that has a rainbow road that automatically becomes harder. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. I, I thought that as well. And there was there was a lot more jeopardy of like falling off things in that level as well. But what mm-hmm. I really liked about that Mindscape was the uh, little mini map. Because within that mind, you had a, a, a various, various locations to to get across to find things and you have a little mini map with like a little tour van that goes in between the levels which was a lot like the cooking game overcooked where you have a little car mm-hmm. that goes around um yeah it, it was just so cute and it's only a mo you know it's only a few moments of gameplay that you get to experience it but it was just mm-hmm. so joyful and i found that do you remember so what the camper van the was called no i don't remind me it's called the feelmobile <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> so good. It's part the part of the trauma of reviewing this game is it's so detailed yeah. you can't remember half of it. You know, there's so much going on. Yeah, at one point um, there was a squirrel that I met in the circusy area. What was his name? Sir Nutzalot or something. Just the detail like of that. what his there name was, was was so funny. And you met him for and a And there second. was another animal animal thread called um Mrs. Thatcher. <laughs> So this is this is the section that I I laughed so hard I had to walk away. <laughs> this is when one of the sort of trainee psychonauts is has had a task to go and make pancakes. Oh, yeah. 
and she's making them in the forest with like acorns and dung and stuff with the help of these forest creatures who are clearly terrified, terrified of, of her. her. And the, yeah, that's where we met Mr. Nuts a lot and Mrs. Thatcher. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, look, if you like well-structured, interwoven, seamlessly humour, I I said that in a really weird order, humour, interwoven seamlessly into your games, this is a game for you. Um, My (laughs) other, just lastly, my other favourite section was um, involved giant bowling balls. Oh, that was my other one. Oh, my goodness. Again, so... This is another example of a way you can play with perspective in a game really creatively because up isn't always up in this game and it happens in a few mindscapes but in the bowling ball one in particular I mean you are <laughs> you're rolling and you can't stop yourself a lot of the time and you your brain has got to keep up with where the course is going um just so clever so inventive more jeopardy They see me rolling <laughs> Um, it's it's a little bit of an homage to Super Monkey Ball. Yes, I thought but, so. Um, yeah, yeah. There are, there are like homages to other games, I think, peppered throughout this game, and it's no bad thing at all. In many ways, they often improve on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, up, up isn't always up is a metaphor for life, I find. Jen. Yeah, well, quite. And again, ties back into this theme of one person's mental health is very different to another. And my dog is... Um... Yeah, making noises. <laughs> making zombie noises. <laughs> Oh God, I'm so sorry, listeners. My my dog's got kennel cough. Like he's fine, but he makes that noise sometimes, and it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and this game is just genius with also having little micro levels within levels. So platforming inside a book. I mean, yeah. who'd have thought it? Like a letter being a course that you have to get across. Just so clever. It just keeps surprising you. Um. Any other standouts, Tim, or do you want to move to any spoilers? Well, I think I just want to talk a little bit more maybe about kind of their approach to um, uh, to mental mm-hmm. health, because it's, it's very different to, you know, Hellblade. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, it's hilarious. Um, but that doesn't mean that they don't treat it with empathy. Mm-hmm. I think they actually do a really good job of kind of treading that fine line between... Showing how people can, um, how people's behaviours can be informed by, um, you know, trauma or or, or isolation mm-hmm. or anxiety or addiction um, or stress or those sorts of things, and them just being quirky. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of one of the delightful things about it is when you're not in their mind, when you meet them, you just think these are quirky characters, and that's where most platformers end. Mm-hmm. But because you get to explore their histories and how their brains are now wired and why. It actually takes it that that level deeper in a way that, even though it's hilarious and silly, actually makes you care a lot more about who these characters are, which I think is so clever. Yeah, and I think that the two characters that really sort of, um, yeah, def- have, have that experience with, well, we have that experience with them. God, I'm saying everything backwards today. Um, <laughs> like Ford Crawler and uh, Maligula. When you mm-hmm. start to get into their minds, like Ford Crawler is a character from the first game that he's got a shattered personality and we know that from the get-go once you get into his mind and why he's shattered once you sort of unlock more about Maligula and her story and she's the sort of posited as the main antagonistic force but once you get into her story as well yeah it really does show you this sort of multifaceted 
experience to one like creating a mind or what makes a mind which i think is yeah Yeah. exactly what you're saying and that's that's it even though there are boss fights Mm -hmm. throughout the platformer the 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 triumph is never hooray i've defeated the boss Mm -hmm. and now they're dead what you're fighting are you know they're in a demons in a lot of kind of quite in literal yeah, ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, but you come out the other side usually kind of in a better position with them or, you know, understanding more about them. And it's, I think it's nice that you can still have those big boss fights and, you know, uh, uh, do that sort of stuff, but have a slightly different feel to it. And and maybe, you know, that's partly as well. Like I know that this company also, when I said at the beginning they had similar approaches to making their games, they also consulted with um, professional mental health organisations before they started production as well. And I see a lot of those little um, notes kind of throughout it, even where like Raz always asks permission before he enters someone's yeah. mind and that's like it's a life or death situation. Things like that, I feel that's the sort of stuff that you talk about before you start making the game and you know why. Yeah, and do you feel like you could play this game and just ignore all of that stuff or do you feel like it's integral to yeah. gameplay? Do you mean you could play it and ignore the mental health yeah. messages? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. In in a way that, you know, I would not recommend Hellblade to younger people. I would absolutely say any, any young person can play this because if you don't have any specific experience yeah. of, you know, the of these traumas or stresses or whatever, you will just accept them as quirky characters like you would get in any other cartoon. Yeah. It's just that they've added more depth for people who want to look for it. But, oh, no, absolutely not. I would happily let any person yeah yeah I agree as well I was just interested on your thoughts in it because I feel like it's it's sort of backgroundy but in a good way because what it does add as you said is layers and context for everything which I think Mm -hmm. when you're looking at character creation in games just up like just uplifts everything and adds like it's like a bonus isn't it but it isn't yeah it isn't integral to the gameplay but it does give us really inventive ways into these mindscapes and settings and gives us really really creative ways of getting past things and uh, and facing obstructing forces and stuff it's just so fun um do you want to move on to any spoilers i mean i, I don't know if i have a need to talk about any spoilers i kind of want to but talk go about ahead if you do yeah Mm-hmm. So this is your spoiler warning for Psychonauts 2. I'll put in the show notes when you can join us again safely. Spoilers, stop listening now if you don't want the spoilers. Um, yeah, so for me, I really wanted to talk about um, Elijah Wood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who doesn't want to talk about Elijah Wood? So obviously he plays Nick the Mailroom guy, who is also uh, Crystal Malik. Can we get so? Can we give him his full name? <laughs> Nick John Smith. Nick John Smith. <laughs> if ever there was a sign that this guy isn't what he appears to be, it's because his name's Nick John Smith. <laughs> I thought that this was such a lovely twist to the mystery um, and also a testament to the excellent storytelling. That's something that seems just sort of nothing at the beginning. Oh, you're an apprentice to a really naff person working here, the mailroom guy ends up being the solution to the mystery which is this person is the mole because they're not who they say they are um i just thought it just tied the story together so beautifully which is why i wanted to talk about it so satisfying and also elijah wood's evil mode is so funny (laughs) (laughs) the whole i just loved that you got a disneyland style 
uh, sort of ride through his history and the reason why he is his character. And it's like the naffest construction. So I mean, the, funny. The, the game designs it really well, but it's just like, of all the mindscapes, this is the one that looked like it was built on a budget. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a small world DIY, isn't it? It's so yeah. funny. And this kind of like uh, egomaniac's brain that you kind of take this literally a little, like it's a small world ride through is so fun to explore. It's just joyful. <laughs> it's just amazing. So yeah, I really wanted yeah. to mention that. And also um, tying into uh, something you said earlier, which is about finding us, finding reasons why some of the characters behave in negative ways, um, particularly with Maligula, who's posited as the sort of baddie. Um, when you find out that Maligula is part of what he thought was his grandmother, I think it really cleverly mm. brings in this sort of discussion of nature versus nurture of who are you if you think you're someone and you've lived that truth but then you find out you started as someone else like who are you still and I think they handle that really well and they handle the truth of a bond between two people or a person and a family really beautifully it's like this person is still their nonna even though she didn't start with that history it was, mm -hmm. I just thought that was so heartwarming and beautiful it, it was like so much so much of it was um was very sweet the family dynamics mm. were were really heartfelt um quite sad but in a nice redeeming mm -hmm. way eventually yeah the fact that the, the acrobat family were also really funny yeah they were amazing <laughs> oh the little side uh, missions are a the, joy uh, so just yeah let's 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 cut this uh um spoiler section down so no more spoilers um i want to move straight on to recommendations who would you recommend this mm -hmm. to tim everyone everyone yeah. i can't think of an exception for this i don't know who wouldn't like this game I too would recommend it to everyone and particularly if you love platformers. I think that if you're someone who really enjoyed Mario Odyssey, for example, and the, the, the way that they played around with the different types of level design, you will love this. I think this is actually even better than Mario Odyssey, actually. Um, and also, I'm going to make a recommendation of how to play it. Normally, I would not be a completionist and say, do all the side missions, do all the collectibles. But in this game, I think that the collectibles are so joyful the fact that you you get to help out emotional baggage, <laughs> for example. <laughs> and the reward music of reuniting emotional baggage with its baggage tag, for example, is just so satisfying. And all the little side missions with Raz's family and some of the other characters, everything's rewarding and fun. Um, so I would recommend that you play all of the game and everything the game gives you, because when it's over, you're like, I still want to play it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I completely agree. I think I had something like 98% of all the game completion by the time I got to the end, as opposed to like completing stuff afterwards, because uh, like you say, like there's, there's, there's so many little moments and great side quests you just want to go and do. Yeah. And going back into people's brains once you've unlocked abilities is great. Mm -hmm. uh, and what would you rate this out of 10, Tim? I don't know if I've given this before, but for me, it's a 10. <laughs> me too! <laughs> yeah. Full house. I just... I just love Four it hours. so, so much. <laughs> I I don't think I've given a game a 10 out of 10 for since maybe the first year of the podcast, but I think I gave one of the yeah. Telltale games 10 out of 10. 
but yeah, I mean, what's not to like? What's not to <laughs> like? Exactly. Yeah, amazing. I don't think I'd, I'd give one either. But I was like, no, I can't take any points <laughs> off for anything. I would. I'm definitely gonna play it again in like a couple of years' time. Or yeah, I'd love so to have fun. another run at it. It's so funny. Mm. I hope they. They. I mean, it's quite a new game still, so there might be DLC. I'd love that if they add an- mm-hmm, another mm-hmm. Mindscape. I'd love it. Um, yeah. yeah. So well done, well done to the team because that is a, that is a cool house from us. Um, so, any last thoughts about um, mental health in games, Tim? Following our in-depth reviews of both of these games (laughs) (laughs) i suppose only that you know as i said studies kind of show that it can be really good no matter what game you play it doesn't have to be themed on mental health but also that i know there's a lot of really promising work going on in vr to cope specifically Mm -hmm. with trauma to help people relive those situations in a safe environment i think we've only scratched the surface of how gaming and gameplay and storytelling that's immersive can actually help people with things like this yeah a really nice note to end on um and all i'd say as well is that i know there's a lot of people who feel like when something is about mental health there's a certain element of being tokenistic because the world wants to talk about this stuff now um but i really want to dispel that and say you know be open-minded if you see that something is Um, around the subjects of mental health because as you've seen with what we're talking about they can be handled in really different ways and I really applaud games developers for going into these realms of um, of games design because it just opens stuff up to stories we haven't seen before and ways Mm -hmm. of exploring stories we haven't seen before so that's why I think this kind of diversity (laughs) is good sorry Sorry. it just made me want to say it just made me want to exclaim, we've had enough angry men avenging their dead wives. Yeah. <laughs> we've had enough of those. Other stories. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we recommend, highly recommend both these games, obviously. So uh, go check them out. Let us know your thoughts as well. Um, we are on the socials. Uh, find us at My Turn Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you haven't done already, please leave us a review on um, Apple Podcasts or on wherever you listen to your podcast. We are on all the things. Please like and recommend us to your friends and contacts. Uh, it really helps us out. And all I need to say now, Tim, is thank you very much for joining me. I've had loads of fun talking about these games. And, oh, I almost forgot. Tim's reminded me by doing a gesture. Um, we do end our podcast with Tim's Tasty Tipples. Tim's drink pairing recommendations for both these games. Let's start with Hellblade. Oh, I was at, I was actually just going to tell you I was off for a drink. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, Hellblade. Well, it has to be... Um, a, a dram of Highland Park, which is a whiskey made in Orkney, because that's where it's set. Um, they are, in fact, only one of two whiskey distilleries in the Orkneys. They are in Kirkwall, and they have been distilling there since 1798. Ooh. Is that one of the ones you've been to? Albeit illegally. No, I've never been to the oh, Orkneys. I, I would love to go. I would love to go to the Orkneys. No, I've in terms of Scottish islands... Sky and Aaron, that's all I've been up to. So um, Tim will this, shortly be posting a GoFundMe for his trip to the Orkneys to visit yeah. this brewery. Uh, and- <laughs> if we could do that, that would be great. And they're, um, like I say, they're very Viking-y in, in Orkney. So uh, they're named after kind of Viking things. So their 10-year-old is called Viking Scars. Ah. 12-year-old is Viking Honor. 
15 year is Viking Heart and 18 is Viking Pride. So decide whether you are scarred or prideful, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And what would be your drinks pairing for Psychonauts 2? Well, I had to go very much on gut feeling rather than than place setting for this one. I've gone for Absinthe. Okay. <laughs> um, that is because I feel like the game has a real bohemian style, yeah. first of all. And, you know, and we're not quite sure what parts of Europe it's set in, but it's somewhere. Somewhere. Um, somewhere. And also, Absinthe has that reputation that it causes hallucinations and delusions mm-hmm. and things, you know, that um, come out of the mind. Just to let you know... That is not true. <laughs> you will not hallucinate on absinthe. It comes from the idea that it contains something called thujone, yeah. which is in Wormwood. But if you were to have enough thujone to make you hallucinate, you'd die of alcohol poisoning first. first. So you're not going to get it from absinthe. Yeah. The other thing about absinthe <laughs> is it's it's often green. And the game has a lot of green in it. So I felt like that. When you sure. said absinthe, I was like, yeah, it's a good color. It's a good color for the game. <laughs> it is indeed green from all the herbs and you know when you when you uh, first pour it it's like this emerald uh-huh. green but if you get what is thought of as a good absinthe uh-huh. so it that means it's got um uh fennel and star Ooh, anise yum. in it when you pour water into it because you should always dilute absinthe when you pour water into it it goes a milky green a pale milky Ooh. green and that is called louche louche uh, Loosh, which is a word I love. Or pastel green to the commoner. Um. <laughs> no, 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 not the colour, not the colour, the actual absinthe. Oh. It's, it's louching. So when you when you add water to absinthe and it changes colour, that's louche, that's louche. Wait, is that the same as when you add water to rocker? Is that also louche? Yes. Okay, I learnt something today. Yeah, <laughs> but you only get it with like the, the French one that adds Fallon Star Anise. If you go for the Bohemian one, it doesn't have it in, so it doesn't. Uh, well, I don't have any absinthe, but next time I do, I'm going to try this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, and now it's time to say goodbye. Thank you very much, Tim's Tasty Tipples. <laughs> Woo. You're welcome. <laughs> and thank you very much for listening to our episode. We will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.